I always joke that we had eight people and eight dollars. I mean, that really is the reality. You know, I was working a separate job. You were working a separate job at the time. Um, and we knew, you know, we didn't have any massive financial backing. Yeah. We didn't have... I was out of a job. You were out of a job at the time. <laughs> That's true. Sorry so maybe only six dollars. sat at the Elk River house and we started talking about okay this is the possibility of what lays in front of us and I remember just saying hey can we take a year to just really pray and dream about the DNA of this I don't know if you guys ever saw this but in our bedroom at the Elk River house he had gotten like poster board no uh, post-its like the huge post-its and they were taped all over our bedroom for that whole year all you could see on our bedroom was the notes from all the churches we had visited and then post-it notes, huge like posters of what we thought we wanted the DNA of Riverway to be. And I'll never forget, like I have that envisioned in my head. All the post-it notes all over our bedroom for a year. It was some nice decorating though. <laughs> I mean, I love doing life with all of you. So that there was no fear in that. It was the fear of... Uh, so we're just gonna ask people to come to a place when have church. Like it was just so like boring. What? I was so excited just to see what God was gonna do and and just the people that we were gonna reach and and just being the church instead of going to the church. I was so sick of that. I just wanted to be able to put my faith into action and have it make a real difference, not just someone's spiritual life, but their real lives as well. So. I was yeah, excited from day one and not knowing at all where it would go, but I'm a very optimistic person. So I'd always just assumed things were gonna go well and we're here six years later, so things aren't going that bad. <laughs> we weren't involved in ministry as much as we wanted to be. So the opportunity to get back in and do what we loved was a real draw for us. And then to do it with you guys, obviously, is something that we love the idea of, but leaving something that we were so comfortable with. I mean, we had been there for 12 years and then to uproot our kids too, like you said, they had been in children's ministry and to start all over where we had no idea, was there gonna be a kids ministry, was there not? <laughs> like, what are our kids gonna do? Are we just gonna, oh, here you go, you know, throw them in and be like, okay. We were, we were nervous. Yeah, we knew God was gonna bless us, I think, because we're just doing what he wanted us to do and just love people. And then we just started, you know, with the vision days over at our blueprint meetings at Oxbow on the cafeteria. Yes. And we kind of invited everybody that we knew that was breathing. <laughs> Please come. <laughs> Please come. And we had four weeks. We had four weeks in a row of this is what we think this church will be, and we want to invite you to join the journey. Right? Literally, a few days before, building these shelves and putting the wheels on and you know, and then we roll them up to the trailer, they're too tall, so we gotta disassemble them, and Tazeeb's got the sawzall, and you know, we're building shelves, trying to figure out how this trailer, how are we gonna fit all this stuff that we need in this tiny trailer? And we were up so late that night. Uh, we had floodlights out, because it was pitch black, and we were still trying to work, and... We were gonna have to learn as we go. We didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> yeah. Right. Kickoff day's here, 200 people show up, and we're thinking, man! <laughs> I'm talking about. <laughs> We've made it. We climbed the hill until the next Sunday. <laughs> and I, I think there was 74 people or so that showed back up. 
But as I think back to those days, I mean, and even Don too, I mean, we were rigging whatever we could. I mean, I remember at one point we had coffee cans, empty coffee cans, and we screwed in different color floodlights and we switch them on and off. And that was, that was our cool lights. But they that, were cool. <laughs> and I think obviously now as we look back and know what we know now, that faith journey would have been a lot easier. You know, but I think right. it was a faith journey. It was like, all right, just kind of a week at a time, all right, we're trusting you, God, to provide, whether it was resources, people, leaders, you know, that we had favor in the community, favor with the schools. I mean, there was so much I felt like riding all the time on whether or not we were gonna exist. You know, like, that at any point, this could stop. And it's just been so cool to see the faithfulness of God. God sends the right people at the right time. Because yeah. we have an idea of what we want to do. We've kind of always seen a bigger picture down the road. We all know where we want to get at some point. But God knows when we need what we need. So he sends the right people to do the right things at the right time when we're ready for it. Me and Steve have both met people who have walked with us through some of the toughest times of our lives. And it's hard to think back and think that had we not come on this journey, that we wouldn't have met those people and they wouldn't have been there. So along with that, with what Don said too, like God knows what you need, when you need it. Hey, you bring up a great point. I think of all the cool people that we know now mm -hmm. that we didn't know then. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you can't imagine your life without them. No. Yeah. It's like, how did we ever do life without those people in right. our life? You know, like it's amazing to see uh, just the cool friendships relationships and, uh, and the faithfulness of people, like you said, that God brings the right people at the right time with different gifts and abilities and talents and passions. And you can really see him forming his church, right? And that's where I think we get that idea. It's everyone plays a part and now it's his church. I think every, you know, two years, I can almost need something like, okay, what's that next thing? Like, you know, we've launched then okay, we had an, another service, that's exciting. And okay, we're moving to the high school, that's exciting. And so now it's kind of like the next big thing on the horizon is like, how do we go from being portable to being permanent? And I think there's just something that legitimizes kind of your presence sure. and your community and where you're at. And just from an outsider perspective or people who might have been hesitant to come like, is that gonna last? It just needs right. a school like, the school could cut up their lease tomorrow and they would have nothing to do. You know, but so that's something like it really kind of puts us on the map of like, hey, like we're here for the long haul and the impact we can make will last for years and years and really no limit to what we can do in our community. I love the fact that, you know, the whole idea is to build a community center, something that can be used, you know, all week long for multiple people and that would get the whole community involved. I know that a project of this magnitude is so even for us to think about, like, when you're talking tens of millions of dollars, it's so beyond us, right? It's so beyond us. And I think this is the beauty of the church coming together, to say, if, if we all give, if we all dream, if we all pray, if we all, you know, just begin to take steps of faith, that somehow God's going to multiply all that. We actually purchase land, you know? And we stand there by that for sale sign, or that sign that says, the future home of Riverway Church. I mean, that's going to feel like crazy. I'm, I'm just excited, but there's also such a peace because we've seen God do such amazing things already. And why would he not continue? All of us have grown to love Champlain so much. And I know where that land is, and I, I envision like driving into Champlain. And seeing that building, I want it to be a beacon of hope for everyone who drives through Champlain.
we've had this history, so we've seen what God has done all along, so we know that He's going to provide exactly what we need when we need it. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Riverway. I'm Ryan. This is Jeremiah. Good morning. And uh, we see that you have made it past the snow NAMI of 2018. Mm. Uh, give yourselves a round of applause for digging your way out. That's right. Uh, Some of them have been commuting since last Sunday morning just to get here for today. Wow. It's remarkable. That's dedication. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, last week, unfortunately, we had to cancel services. First time we've ever done that in six and a half years. But we knew for the safety of everybody uh, that that was the best move. Are you glad that you, you stayed at home and you didn't have to, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, I am. Uh, that was a crazy snowfall. But now the sun is out and there's hope again. God has not forgotten about us. And I know some of us were on the verge. But uh, it is so nice to see the sun again. Yeah. yeah. And so here we are. We are kicking this thing off. Uh, for those of you that are guests with us today, I'm going to apologize right up front because we are in the middle of a capital campaign right now to raise funds to purchase land that we believe and hope and pray will be the permanent home of Riverway Church. And so the next couple weeks are going to feel a little bit different. And so if you'll bear with us and uh, give us another shot here into our next series after this, uh, we'd sure appreciate it. And uh, Jeremiah, you're going to talk about the booklets that we all got. Yeah, uh, two weeks ago, not last week, because nobody was here last week, two weeks ago, we passed out these booklets and these commitment cards for this Landing Place campaign. And these booklets go really in-depth about uh, this whole campaign, lots of details, even some of our past, our future hopes. Uh, but so if you were not here two weeks ago, uh, can you throw your hand up real quick? We have ushers that are going to pass these out this morning. This will be great for you to follow along with as we're talking about things. So if you are not here, if you have not received one of these booklets or commitment cards yet, Please just put your hand up and hold it up there nice and high until one of the ushers comes and puts one right in that hand that is up in the air. It'll make this morning and these next two weeks much easier to follow along with. That's right. And it was sure fun was watching that video. And we're actually going to be putting a, 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 the full version video online. And you can kind of hear kind of in depth um, how this whole thing got started. But that was just a little snapshot of the eight of us getting together just to recount and remember some of the things uh, just seeing the faithfulness of God over the last six and a half years has just been amazing. And so today we just want to give you a little bit more information. All throughout the series we're going to be giving pieces of information. We got really nitty-gritty into our pie meetings that we held for two weeks. And if you weren't able to attend a pie meeting, we'll still be giving out some information but may not be able to get as in-depth on a Sunday morning with you. But we do want to give you just an idea, again, a little recap of where we're headed. And we have just a photo right here of the land that we are looking to purchase. Um, this is on the far right, you'll see the corn maze. This is 169 looking north, just to the left there. And then you go over 169 farmland, over Jefferson, and you'll see our landing place at 109th and Jefferson. Uh, this is right in the northwest corner of Brooklyn Park. To the north is Champlin, right on that line. And to the left, there's houses there. That's Maple Grove. And right now, we have a verbal agreement with the owner of that land to purchase 10 acres. They actually own 38 acres all the way down right there. Um, we'd love to be able to purchase all 38 acres, but I think we're going to be limited just financially to purchase the 10 that we believe that we're going to need uh, that will help us build a 55,000-square-foot facility uh, that will one day house us for community center and everything we do on Sundays. Now, this campaign is just for land. It's just to be able to give us that permanent home that we, we're seeking. And we are hoping to raise an additional seven to $900,000 over the next two years to be able to purchase that land. Now, some of you might be asking, 
why in the world is, you know, uh, why aren't things just being built all over the place there? And that's a great question because you see everything getting bought up. And actually, you know, a seven to $900,000 would be a very good deal for 10 acres uh, for that area of land. And the reason why there's nothing else going in there is that all of that grass that you see on both sides of 169, there is currently no sewer or water in that property. And so uh, the plan for Brooklyn Park over the next 10 to 12 years is to bring water and sewer up through the corn maze, back down on the other side, all the way to 610. They're going to cross over Jefferson, come all the way back up. So our piece of land would be the very last spot in all of Brooklyn Park that gets sewer and water. And that is why people are not buying and building on this land right now because they would be stuck just with land. There's no way they can access that. And so in our pursuit of this land, Brooklyn Park had told us, hey, in order to make this work, you're either going to have to convince the city of Champlin to the north of us or the city of Maple Grove to the west of us to hook up to their water and sewer. And they said, but we can tell you right up front that really there's no money in water and sewer, and so you'll probably have a hard time convincing either of them to do that. And so because of our relationship that we built with the city of Champlin over the last six and a half years, we automatically went to them first. And we said, what do you think of this idea? And they said, well, let us look into it. We're interested. And so they put a team of engineers on it. And within a week, they came back and set up a meeting and said, not only are we able, but we're willing to uh, because we love Riverway Church. And uh, we just thought that was pretty amazing to see this favor. Uh, They just said, you know, yeah, you can clap for that. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. And... You know, they said, you've done so much for our city. You have, you've, you've helped us in so many ways. If we can be a help back to you guys, we want to be. And so that's an incredible deal. Um, and so our hope and, and is that even this summer, we're able to put some money down on land. Because right now what we have is a verbal agreement, which we know means really nothing. Uh, and so we want to be able to put some money down on the land this summer to be able to write at least a bit of a contract and get that going as well. But the people that are selling us this, part of the reason is that they're not interested in selling for another two years. And we said, well, hey, that's good news because we're not ready to buy for another two years. This is a two-year campaign, 24 months. And then the city of Champlin came back and said, hey, in two years, we are tearing up 109th, and we're going to put in more... Roundabouts. Roundabouts. Which oh, we, you roundabout lovers. We, we love roundabouts, don't yeah. we, in Champlin? We love well, roundabouts. Get nice fact, and dizzy on those things. In the Northwest Metro, yeah. we love them. And so they said, hey, we're going to be tearing up the road. We'll, it will actually save you... $15,000 if we can hook up all the water and sewer lines at that time. And so we see two years there, two years here, two years there. And we just kind of see everything kind of coming together. And so that is our first choice. The question has been raised, hey, what happens if we do not get this property? And that's a great question. We've already been working on it. Um, our former mayor in the city of Champlain, Armin Nelson, he's actually on our property and building committee. And he's been helping us locate parcels of land that would be viable options for us. And so there's a couple things that we're doing. This is a 10-acre plot. And, you know, we talked about building that building out. Uh, but Kelly Latecki, who's an architect, she attends here. She's been helping us with this process. Has already drafted a couple blueprints for us to be able to look at, uh, you know, land size and everything we're going to need. But one thing we're looking at is is a couple five-acre plots in Champlin that are still existing, and we're actually looking at building up instead of out. And so Kelly right now is working on a three-story plan for us where the first floor would be gyms and auditoriums, second floor would be a lot of our kids and dedicated youth space, and then third floor would be a lot of our job creation, clothing center, food center, community rooms, all of that kind of stuff. And so we're actually looking at that, you know, five acres is cheaper than 10 acres, all of those things, and it's actually cheaper to build up than it is out. And so we're just looking at multiple options, and we actually have plans B, C, and D going, because we don't want to sit on our hands for two years only to have this fall through and not have any other options. We just don't think that'd be wise. And so we want to let you know that we are hard um, at work at developing those options, but this still is our very first choice. So 
talk to us a little bit about our financial goal and uh, the one fund idea. Yeah, so throughout this process, we want to be as transparent as possible with you guys and invite you really into this process. We're going to talk through our financial goal. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, but as you even have questions about this goal, about how this breaks down, please come talk to us. We'll be at the landing place table out in the hallway. Uh, but we want to bring you into this process. So even as you have ideas, you might hear us talking about a certain thing that we're wanting to pursue. Maybe you have an expertise in that area, or maybe you're skilled in an area. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more about that and how we can use your gifts and your talents uh, to be part of this process as well. But we're going to break down what our goal looks like. And this is our all-in goal for the next two years to cover everything that we need to do as a church. And that number is $2.26 million. And here's how it breaks down. It gives us two years of our operations budget at $595,000 per year, or $1.19 million over the next two years. And these numbers are strictly based off of last year's numbers, our operating costs for last year. We're not assuming for any growth. We're not projecting anything. This is just based off of last year for the next two years, what we need. Uh, next, we have our long-term savings at $200,000. We know that to be viable for the long-term, especially as we get into a building process, we need a bigger savings account, so that's why we have $200,000 right there. Also, two years of our outreach budget, $170,000. And so this breaks down basically for Family Fun Fest for two years and Miracle Sunday for two years. That is all that $170,000 covers. Family Fun Fest is right around $25,000, and Christmas Miracle Sunday is right around $60,000 for us to do. Now that 170000 is more like a probably $225,000 value uh, because we stretch those as much as we can. But that's just for those two events. Everything else we do in our community, uh, Fifth Sundays, things in our schools, things in our communities, uh, that all comes out of our general operations budget. So that does not touch that on 170000 And lastly, we have 700000 budgeted for our land purchase. And that helps us come up with that number of $2.26 million over the next two years all in. That way nothing gets uh, thrown on the back burner, nothing changes on what we already do as a church. Our DNA stays intact because we're funding everything at the same time through this budget. Yeah, and that was important to us, to keep the vision the vision. You know, we had recommendations, well, maybe you should stop doing your outreaches for two years and just focus on buying land. And, and we just said that wasn't an option for us because that's who we are as a church. And so the, the idea of this one fund, you know, I don't know if you've been around different uh, places that have tried to raise some money, but sometimes they would say, we're just going to try to raise money for the land. We'll try to raise seven to 900000 We'll do that. Um, but because of our unique focus in our community, we felt like a one fund would be better for a couple of reasons. Number one, it helps everybody budget and to be able to see in totality what you're giving to Riverway in an entire year. Uh, we also didn't want people to feel the angst that if we do this big push and everybody's sacrificing to give to the land, and then in a couple more months we come back and say, hey, could you also give to Family Fun Fest? And then in a few months later we say, hey, could you give sacrificially to Miracle Sunday? And everyone's feeling that angst again. And so we wanted to provide a way where it's just all in one, you can see everything in one, and that's why we've decided to go with the one fund idea that really makes sure that we can keep everything moving uh, together. And so explain to us the one fun card. Some of you have the commitment card. You could open it up if you want to look at it. Otherwise, it will be right here on the screen. Yeah, so to break down the one fund, it really, it's a simple way to do things. And we like things that are simple. I don't like when things are complicated. I know you probably don't like when things are complicated. So we feel that this is the simplest approach for us to take as a church to do what we want to do over these next two years. Uh, so how it breaks down is this. You'll see up on the screen. The first line is there for your regular giving in 2017 or what you're projecting for 2018. So if you received a year-end giving statement from us recently or from another church, if you were part of another church, you'd put that number on that line or whatever you're projecting for this year, your regular tithes, your offering, uh, what you would give regularly goes on that top line. Next two lines, we have giving for Christmas Miracle Sunday and for Family Fun Fest. Uh, if you, you know, typically give the same amount or just plan on giving the same amount every year for those, you can put those on those next two lines. In the fourth line there, it says my or our annual expanded giving for landing place. 
And I just want to encourage all of us here. We have a couple weeks here to really pray and to think about what we can do to give towards this landing place. And I'm encouraging 100% of our people who call Riverway home here to lean into this process and just to commit to telling God, God, I want to do something sacrificial for this campaign. And I guarantee as we can lean into those things, you'll hear God just kind of speaking to you. And it might be a little scary, but you know what? When I've experienced some of the greatest things in my life, there was a little scariness to them. They didn't come easy. It wasn't a simple thing. But looking back on it, it took those steps of trust and of sacrifice to see some great things happen. And the same is true for this, that when we can get to that point of sacrificial giving, you know, we're all going to give different amounts, and we're not all going to give the same amount, but we all need to give sacrificially. And not only is this place as a church going to benefit from that, but also you individually and as a family will benefit greatly because your trust in God will unlock his blessing in your life over just things that you can never even imagine. So I want to encourage you, as we look at that fourth line, your expanded giving for landing place, don't just write down an easy number. Don't just write down the first thing that comes to mind, but really pray about this and say, God, if you provide it, I'm going to give it. Because when we see that happen, we're going to see God do some amazing things. So I want to encourage you, over these next two weeks, really take the time to prayerfully consider what you could put down on that line and see God do through you over these next two years. And we've really been in that space, right? We've known that this was coming long before anybody else. And so we've already had times to process that, pray about it, think it, talk it through with our spouses, that kind of thing. And I know that, I mean, I can speak for Jeremiah too because we've had many dialogues about it that we just feel like as we're leading this thing, we know that we have to lead with a sacrificial gift. And I know for Tara and I, as, as we came up with a number that was a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest, there's parts of it we figure out and we can sacrifice. But then there's parts that we just don't know where it's going to come from. But we just committed, you know, and, and what we have pledged is the largest gift that we have ever given in our lives to anything, above our regular giving. And I know you guys have been in that same spot. You guys have decided to give the biggest gift you've ever given in your life. Mm-hmm. And so we want you to know that we're all in on this, that we believe in the vision, what God's doing here, and we want to help lead the way in that. Yeah, and the question I keep asking myself is, you know, after this two-year campaign, if I don't lean into this, well, I look back and say, God, what would have happened if I really would have just trusted and obeyed you? Yeah. Or am I going to go all in and say, God, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to trust, I'm going to obey, and I want to see what you do because you can do what only you can do. So I'm just going to do my part and let you do the rest. Yeah. Uh, so back to the card, quick, just to wrap things up here. Um, those first four lines, you total those up, gives us a subtotal. And this is a two-year campaign, so we're going to times it by two. Then there's a line on here for a one-time gift from a stored resource, whether it's something you could sell, maybe it's a vehicle or something you don't need anymore, you want to sell and give that money towards it, extra money from a tax return or somebody gifted to you. It's kind of just a one-time lump sum gift that you want to give. You could put that down on that line. And the last thing, you total all that up, and in that blue box there, it's your total one fund giving amount over two years you'd put in that last box. And like I said, if you have any questions about this uh, one fund concept, this whole giving card, uh, I'll be at the landing place table. It's right out in the cafeteria here uh, on your way out. So I'll be happy to answer any questions um, or help make this make a little more sense to you out there as well. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking a little bit about phases, future debt load, all of those things. And so uh, we'll just give out little bits of information each week. So try not to miss one week between now and May 6th. All of your books are wrong now because of our <laughs> snow-nami. Uh, you can see on the card there it says that April 29th was going to be our big commit Sunday, but everything because of canceling last week just got bumped back one week. And so now May 6th will be our commitment Sunday where everyone will fill out a card, and that's when we get to come
come together as a church. So I'm excited for that. And our goal, like Jer said, is 100% participation. If you call Riverway home, we believe everyone can be involved. So uh, Jer was filling in for Bruce today. Bruce is on vacation or business or something, and he's in a warmer climate. We won't even say where he is. No, uh, Bruce not do is, it. Bruce is our capital campaign director, and so he sends his greetings. He will be back next Sunday, and we have that table out there where he'll be next week as well. Yeah, Thanks Bruce is much better looking, much manlier. He's got it's a true. beard down to here. About the only thing I have on Bruce is my youth. So um, <laughs> I make sure he does know that, but he'll be back next week. Uh, I'm filling at the table. So if you want any more jokes about Bruce, come find me as well. Thank you. <laughs> hey, wild applause for Jeremiah. Thanks for filling in. Not as good looking, but we'll take them. All right, here we go. Hey, we're excited for week two of this series. Right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to grab those out, do some fill in the blanks. Because we want to continue this idea um, of just this process that God is leading us into. And we want to give you some more heart behind that today um, as we move from portable to permanent. Can we say that together? Moving from portable to permanent. Uh, this is such an exciting time for our church. And as we said last week, and it's the first fill-in in your notes, that this campaign isn't just about land, it's about people. It's about people, and we believe that God is going to help us with this land reach more people that we've never even met. And we want to make heaven as crowded as possible. And we believe in order to reach the potential that God's put in our hearts, we know we need a landing place of our own. Uh, we need a permanent spot that will one day house a community center that will be open to the community seven days a week and to help those that live around us. And as you saw in that video, this dream has been in our hearts from the very beginning. And as we've researched this, we've really found hardly any other churches doing what we're about to do. And we believe that God is helping us and is going to help us be a national example of what it means for a church to put the community out in front of everything else. And so we want to lead not only with our words, but we want to lead in action. We believe this is a big part of that. And so two weeks ago, uh, we opened up the word and we read about a, a Jewish man named Nehemiah who determined in his heart that he was going to have a heart of ownership for a land he'd not yet been to and to rebuild hope for people that he had never met. And we've been praying that same thing, that God would inspire us into a heart of ownership, uh, that we would recognize that this is our church and that these are our communities, and God's calling us to stand in the gap for people that we've never met yet, but we know who need to hear about the wonderful, amazing love of Jesus. And so this man named Nehemiah uh, that we talked about two weeks ago, he left his great life in Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, left his life to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, and the Jewish people had been exiled, and for many, many, many years the temple was destroyed, and nothing, nobody was doing anything about it until God impressed on Nehemiah to take a stand and he did and he left his life and he went and rebuilt the temple uh, but it was not easy uh, they had much opposition there were many people that didn't want didn't want them to finish the building they liked status quo they liked how things were going already and it's interesting that even at the end of this I encourage you to read it Nehemiah uh, chapters uh, 7 and 8 especially but it's so important uh, that you read about what's happening in the hearts because I think although, you know, it's not transferable as far as exactly item for item, but the heart stuff is so transferable to everything that God's leading us into right here. And even at the end of them building that temple, the Bible said the opposition was so great that on certain days they had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. I mean, could you imagine that? Trying to rebuild the temple while fighting off the enemy, right? And you thought you had workplace issues. I mean, that's, that'd be pretty difficult to do. And so today, um, what I want to examine is that after the building was done and they rebuilt the temple, 
Nehemiah gathered all the people together because there was one thing that he was determined to see happen. And it was that they would never get back to the place where they were. That they'd never be a people that were exiled again, that they would never see their temple destroyed, that they could continue to worship God and that they were gonna do something about it. And we read in Nehemiah chapter nine about this incredible journey. And so as we recount, what you're gonna see is this theme of uh, people being faithless and God being faithful, people being faithless and God being faithful. And as I read this to you, maybe you would recount or remember some of the stories you heard about in the Old Testament. And here's where I need your help. This is gonna be a little bit lengthy. I'm gonna read almost the whole chapter. And so I need you to lean forward and get ready. But anytime there is a highlighted word, we're all gonna read that word out loud together. Can you help me? Yes, perfect. Here we go. So this is so important. Nehemiah chapter nine, it begins this way. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. And then Nehemiah prayed this prayer. He said, God, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all of his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud, by night with a pillar of fire to give them light, uh, to light the way where they were to take. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Imagine that. They want to go back to slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on them as, as the way they were to take. You did not withhold your manna, that was their food. You did not withhold manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Isn't that amazing? That's gonna be my new prayer as a parent, that my kids' clothes do not wear out, right? I mean, any other parents with me? Gosh, they go through that stuff. All right. But even after all of this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. And from heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. <laughs> this is amazing. But as soon as they were at rest, they did again what was evil in your sight. Then again, you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so that they would be ruled over. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Is anybody seeing a, a central theme here running, right? Goes on. You warned them. 
in order to turn back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. You gotta go, how many times did it take to learn this stuff? For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of your neighboring peoples, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. In all of that that's happened to us, you've remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. And then Nehemiah says in verse 38, let's read it. In view of all of this, in other words, Nehemiah is saying, come on, I've just recounted to you again and again how we messed up in God's grace. We messed up God's grace. We messed up God's compassion, his great love. He said, in view of all of our history, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. He's saying all the leaders are going to about to sign this bad boy of an agreement. Because we're never getting back to this place. We're never getting back to exile. We're never getting back to where our temple's destroyed. And in Nehemiah chapter 10, I want you to look at the list of names. This is so amazing. Of the people that signed this document. And I love that Nehemiah went first. Nehemiah led the way and said, you know what? Leaders go first, and so I'm gonna go first. And even as we take that same model, last night there was over 100 of our leaders that gathered together to make an early pledge towards this campaign. Last night we were at Oxbow Creek Elementary School and next Sunday we're actually gonna show you the totals of what's already been pledged towards our goal because we believe that leaders should go first. Look at the next slide. Here it is, more names, more names, more names. Here's the next slide. These are all the leaders. I mean, look at all of these people that said, we're gonna we're make a binding agreement on this deal. Next slide. Here we go, ready? Then the rest of the people together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord of our Lord. So then they make this list of responsibilities, these promises that they will do and will not do. And as a part of these promises, this is what's so fascinating and what I want to drill in on what we're going to talk about today is that Nehemiah reinstitutes the tithe, the 10% that belongs to God. It stands, another word for this is a tenth. And Nehemiah says, we're not only gonna reinstitute the tithe, but we are gonna take responsibility for our church. And I love this. Here we go, ready? You're still with me, right? Highlights, here we go, ready? He says this, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings, the burnt offerings, the offerings on the Sabbath, the new moon feasts and appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, the sin offerings. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of offerings going on. And it goes on to say, uh, of the fruit of all of our trees, our grain offerings, the new wine, the olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. Did I lose? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Where are we at? Point of festivals, sin offerings. Oh, okay, good. 
We also, last line, assume responsibility for bringing the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops. That meant that when they got their harvest, they would take the first 10% and the best of their crops and they would give it to God. They would bring it to the temple and they did this for their cattle, they did this for their first fruits, they did this for their money, on and on and on. It goes on to say, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, the fruit of all of our trees and of our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of God, to the storms of the treasury. And this fascinating, this very last line. We will not neglect the house of our God. Right? So, I mean, Nehemiah just draws a line in the sand. And he reinstitutes the tithe. He says, we have lost track of taking care of the house of God. We've lost out on this idea that it all belongs to God in the first place. And he's asking us to bring him the first 10%. And they all signed this oath. And they took responsibility from their church. And Nehemiah said, never again will we ever be in this spot. It's amazing for me to see that you see all throughout the Bible, your next fill-in, this theme of giving God the first and best is all throughout the Bible. The first and best, first and best, all throughout Scripture, you see people giving their first and the best. Even from the very beginning, I don't know if you went to Sunday school growing up and you had those cool flannel graphs, you know, very modern. Uh, and, and you remember the story of Cain and Abel, even in the book of Genesis, the two brothers. And one of the sacrifices God honored because it was the first and best. It was given out of obedience and sacrifice and the other offering God did not accept because it was given begrudgingly and out of leftovers. God says, that's not an offering that I accept. And we see this challenge in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then, everybody say then, because it's a cause and effect. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And I don't think any of us really have barns or in need of new wine, uh, but I think a more modern approach to this would be honor the Lord with your wealth with the first part of every paycheck. The first part of every paycheck. And I learned this growing up. My parents instilled this in me, that we give God the first 10%. I remember watching my dad do bills, and I remember seeing him write the check to the church. I remember being a little kid and my mom would give me my quarter. Do you ever remember getting a quarter from mom if you went to church when you were little, right? And you had to bring your quarter or quarters down to your kid's church and you would put them in the offering. I remember I used to be so excited to put in my quarters because I knew somehow it was helping Jesus, right? I didn't get it. I didn't really understand it. But I knew that we were helping Jesus. And all throughout my life, the local church helped teach me to live generous. And as a young child, I saw that example. And as I have grown up, ever since my very first job, I have always given God the first 10% of everything I've ever made. Uh, for my first job as a paper boy. Anybody else have a first job as a paper boy, right? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I gave God the first 10%, and that was a great job until one dog chased me a couple blocks. I thought I was going to die, and then I hung up that career. That was not a, I just realized this was not for me. Uh, you know, in, in college, I had a market research job, and I was paying my way through school so I could leave debt-free, but I always gave the first 10% back to God. And even in my various roles as pastors, it has never occurred to me in my life to live on 100% of what I make, ever. It's just never even occurred to me. 
Because the church taught me to give, to save, and to live. To give to God first, to save, and then to live on the rest. And this pattern's been in my life, and it's been one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned, and one of the greatest things that has brought blessing in my life more than any other single thing. And my hope and prayer, and one thing that I want for my kids is that as they grow up, that they understand the value of putting God first in your finances, because there is no greater security than having a heavenly Father that's providing for you. There's no other security. And I understand it's a journey of faith and obedience. And on page eight of your booklet, you see a, a staircase that looks just like this. And it talks about the different levels of giving, I think, that, that journey that we've all been on from time to time. And the first one says that I'm a first-time giver, that I've never given before now. Maybe you're in that place of saying, God, I'm giving to you in part of this campaign for the very first time. Or the next one says an occasional giver. You know, it says I give, but it's not consistent. You know, I throw in a few bucks here and there, whatever it is. You know, I just give occasionally. The next one is a percentage. You say I, give, I consistently give, but less than 10% or the tithe of my income. And so maybe you're at 3% or 5%. Maybe you've actually picked a percentage and you've got it worked out. And so you're doing that percentage thing. But then the next step is this idea of tithing. That I say, God, this theme that we see throughout Scripture and taking care of your house, we give to you the very first and the best, the first 10%. And then above that is extravagant giving, above our 10%. And that's where we're at even with this campaign. For those of us that are already tithing and saying, God, we're already giving you 10% above that, God, now we're going to get into this place of extravagant giving. But this idea of tithing is so important uh, because... You know, as, as we look at the Bible and we see this idea of first fruits, uh, giving God the first and the best over and over again, it means that for every 10 watermelons, nine goes to me and one goes to God. Anybody like watermelon? It's warm enough outside. It's a watermelon kind of day. And we have cantaloupe. How many like cantaloupe, right? I mean, God brings 10 cantaloupes in our life, and guess what? Nine of them go to us. And we bring one back to our Heavenly Father. And pineapple, oh, one of my favorites. Thank you. Ten of them. Nine go to us. One is to be returned to God. Because all of it actually belongs to Him in the first place. Every bit of it. What do we got? Grapefruit. How many like grapefruit? right? As long as there's enough sugar, right? I mean, anything with enough sugar is good. But 10 grapefruit, nine go to us and one goes to God. And what do we got? We got pears. Ooh, I like pears. Thank you. Thank you. Nine, nine pears go to us. One goes to our heavenly father. And then we've got apples. Thank you very much. We've got 10 bushels of apples and we have Fuji apples. How many of you like Fuji apples? Anybody like Fuji apples? Nine bags of apples go to us. And one bag of apples goes to God. And then grapes. Oh, what is this? Oh, it's a mango. Anybody ever seen a mango? Hey, thank you. Oh, and we have grapes too. And so nine mangoes to God and one to, I mean, one to God, nine to us. Nine packs of grapes to us, one to God. And we've got oranges. I mean, I love oranges, right? Nine of them go to us and one of them gets returned to our Heavenly Father. Every single bit of everything that we're given. Wow, bananas, bananas. Uh, truth be told, we had actually already bought the fruit last week, and uh, so the bananas are looking a little brown, but <laughs> just ignore that. <laughs> we didn't know about the tsunami. Nine packages of bananas go here, and one gets returned to our Heavenly Father. And this idea of putting, giving God our first and best is all throughout Scripture. 
And I like what Dave Ramsey said. He's a financial guru if you've ever listened to him. But he said in America, you don't even need God's blessing to live on 90%. You just need to stop coveting, live within your means, budget better what you have, and be content. I mean, we are so blessed in America. And we see this outpouring here. And we get this challenge from Malachi chapter 3 when God is speaking and he says this to his people. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Wow, that seems like a very accusatory question, doesn't it? To which, and he says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. And so you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Instead, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. In other words, I want you to bring this whole tithe so that my kingdom can come on earth. And so that the house of God can move forward and reach people we've never met that need to be reached with this incredible message. And then God says this, and it's the only time in all of Scripture that God utters these words. He says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And so in 2018, how are we robbing God? It's your next villain. It's our temptation to live off of God's table instead of ours. It's our temptation to live off of this table. Because even though we have all of this, we say, God, I know that this 10% is supposed to come back to you. And it's almost like we grab some of God's fruit. And you almost got to sneak to get over here and do this, right? You almost feel guilty. Because all of it belongs to God. And he says, I just want you to return a portion back to me. And our temptation, and it will continue to be there for all of us, the temptation is to continue to live off of God's table instead of our own. And these things that come against us, like greed, right? There's just a spirit of greed that we say, more for us, more for us, more for us. This lack of contentment, fear, what if we don't have enough? This distractions will continue on and continue on. But our tithe, your next villain, and sacrificial giving. Our tithe and sacrificial giving help remind us that it all belongs to God. Every time we give our first and our best, we say, God, I'm acknowledging that it all comes from you. That my boss doesn't write my paychecks. God, you write my paychecks. God, you don't provide the work. We don't provide the work. You provide the work. God, I didn't provide that job. You provided that job. God, I didn't provide this blessing. You provided this blessing. And every time we give back to him, we're saying, thank you. Because we recognize it all belongs to you. And just like Nehemiah, we're reminded that this is our responsibility. See, when we give to God, it reminds us that we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. But boy, isn't that our pressure in our culture? We just need to keep up with everybody else. When we give to God, it reminds us that we're keeping up, not with the Joneses, but we're keeping up with the mission of God. We are keeping up with bringing his kingdom to earth. But the temptation for Nehemiah and all of his people that says, well, God, after we get the temple built, after we take care of all our needs, after we get our social services, after we get some roads, after we get everything going, then God will give to you. You see, giving God the leftovers takes zero faith. After you've consumed everything and said, well, whatever's left over, then I'll give to God, that takes no faith. And see, this isn't a money issue, it's a trust issue. And God says, I want your heart that when you give me the good, the first and the best of everything you make, 
that then you trust and you test me that your 90% with my blessing will be far greater than anything you could do on 100% on your own. This is an issue of trust, that you are not your provider and I am not my provider, but our provision comes from one person only and it is our Heavenly Father. And he says, if I can see your heart moving towards me and trusting me, then I'm gonna open up the floodgates of blessing on your life. You see your next feeling, God is not the recipient of our gifts. Rather, he is the benefactor of all we have. You see, we're not doing God a favor. We're not saying, God, aren't you thrilled we're giving this to you? No, how silly. Because all of this over here, he gave to us too. And all of this over here, he gave to us. And he says, I just want you to return a portion that has always belonged to me. Uh, I came across this article in Relevant Magazine that did an article about tithing in the church. It was interesting. They said that tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. That any congregation on the low end is about 10% of the people are actually doing this. And on the high end, 25%. And here at Riverway, we're about 15%. About 15% of the people that attend here do this. Then it went on to say that Christians on average across the United States are only giving at a 2.5% rate of their income, while during the Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate, which is, I just find it shocking. And so numbers, I know like this, they can invoke guilt, but that's not the point. The larger point, and what they were trying to get at is what would happen if Christians across the board were to raise their giving to 10%. That if everybody in the United States did that, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. And here are some of the things that the church could do as we've already led the way in these things, but the things that we could do if everyone just rose to this challenge and were obedient to God. Look at this. 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. And 112 billion would still be left over every year for additional ministry expansion right here in the U.S. I mean, that blows my mind. The things that we could do to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. But it begins with our hearts saying, God, I'm willing to trust you, even when it's difficult. I mean, there were times for Tara and I, we had to choose between paying our tithe and paying a bill. And there was a moment we couldn't rub two nickels together. But we just said, God, even when times are hard, we're still putting you first because it all comes from you. And amazing when we made that choice, how God provided, provided, provided in ways that we never dreamed because we put our hope and our faith in him. I like what Martin Luther said, one of the greatest reformers of theology in our, to ever live. He, he said this, there is perhaps no clearer evidence of spiritual maturity than financial generosity. There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the mind, and the purse. <laughs> I like that. Our purse needs to be converted. It's really not about money. It's really actually all about trusting our Heavenly Father. And so I want to encourage you to lean into this. To look at those stairs, Mark, if you wouldn't mind putting that up again, to say, God, where am I at on this journey of generosity? Where am I at? Am I consuming everything? Am I bringing it back to you, God, to say, 
The first and the best goes to you, God, because of all you've given me. And I've seen this theme play out in people's lives over and over again, that when they're moving away from God, they stop giving. And when people are growing in relationship with God, they actually give more because they understand more and more the closer they get to their heavenly father, this idea of being a son and daughter and all that we've been blessed with. And we just wanna keep God's kingdom coming to earth. And so I wanna encourage you, your last feeling, that to, to be the kind of Jesus followers that live in faith and generosity, that we'd be marked by that. And we're not keeping up with the Joneses, we're keeping up with the mission of God. And we're giving him our first and our best. And I wanna encourage you that wherever you're at on that journey, to take that next step, to say, God, we're taking a step towards you. We're gonna start honoring you with everything that you have given us. And like Nehemiah, we would say, we will not neglect the house of God. We're gonna take responsibility for this whole deal. So if you wouldn't mind all this room, if you want closing your eyes, and just for 30 seconds, I would like you to talk to God about this. To say, God, where am I at on this issue of generosity with you? Am I trusting you? Do I trust you as my provider or am I trusting me? And we believe that God can speak to our hearts. So no matter where you're at on that journey, just between you and God, let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we want our hearts to be fully engaged with you. We want our hearts to fully trust in you as our provider. And for those of us that are on this journey of, of trust and giving, would you help us by your spirit to not give in to fear and not give in to distraction, not give in to greed. But say, God, we're gonna put you in first place. We're gonna give you the first and the best believe that your blessing will follow. So God, I thank you that you constantly lead us into this place of stretching our faith to be more dependent on you. That's what this whole deal is about. To trust you more and lean on you more and know you more. So God, those taking about to take leaps of faith in this area, those that have just decided in their hearts today, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to step in and I'm going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. God, as people take these incredible steps of faith, would you show yourself faithful just like you have all throughout scripture. We see that again and again. So we thank you for the honor of being a part of this, that we get to use our resources to make heaven more crowded. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, we just wanna encourage you on this journey to keep trusting God every single step of the way, just like Nehemiah. So next week, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, just how this is really a people campaign, land campaign. We're going to be talking about all that. And then we're going to be revealing what we've already seen pledged towards our goal. So we encourage you, don't miss any of the next couple weeks as we wrap up this campaign.